to Hebrews chapter 11. So we've been going through uh, the book of Hebrews this semester, and this month in Relay, we are coming to the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Has anyone here been through the Hall of Presidents at Disney? Has anyone been through that? Nobody walks through that at Disney. Oh, a few educational folks. You go for the air conditioning, don't you? That's exactly why you go. Has anyone ever been to a wax museum? Okay, not many. A few. So when you go through either of those, what you're doing is you're looking at these, these lifelike figures. And the goal is to, if you go through a wax museum, it's to kind of bring you into what they look like and what their life was like. And that's kind of what Hebrews 11 is like. It's all these names of Old Testament saints, and he's trying to bring us into their lives. But unlike a wax museum, he's not just trying to bring us into their lives. He's trying to bring something from their lives into us, and it's their faith. He's going to highlight over and over again their faith. Uh, you're going to see this word 25 times in this chapter, the word faith. The point is not hard to discern. He wants us to live by faith. So look at Hebrews chapter 11, and look with me beginning in verse 1. So we're going to read verse 1 through 12, and then we're going to read the end of the chapter. So we're going to try to get a big section of the chapter. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's amazing to think about that. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, and she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, 
were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And he's going to go down through all these verses, listing person after person after person after person after person, and then drop down to verse 32. I'm going to read verse 32 down to the end of this chapter. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This is, man, this guy can preach when you're reading this. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And then we're going to look at in the final message next month, he goes to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. If you've been following along in this series through Hebrews, you know that over and over he is showing how Christ is better. He's better than the Old Testament covenant. He's better than better promises. He is a better Savior. And if you're following along in Hebrews, you might start to ask this question, since Jesus is so much better than everything that came before him in the Old Testament. What about these Old Testament saints? How do we think about Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and the judges and Samuel? How do we think about them? Were they just bums, you know, before Jesus? What part did they play in the story of redemption? And he's helping us read our Old Testaments. He's showing us all of them lived by faith and they were commended by God. Even though they hadn't seen the Savior yet, they trusted God's promises and they lived by faith. And tonight, I want us to be inspired to have faith in Christ and to live according to God's promises. So, so far in Hebrews, he's given us multiple warning passages He's telling us, you know, be careful about unbelief. Be careful that you fail to listen to Jesus. Be careful that you don't miss the gospel of Jesus Christ that you've heard. And now he's kind of coming to this climactic moment in his sermon where he's saying he wants us to live by faith in the Son of God. So we're going to have three points tonight. Hopefully we'll get to all three. Point number one is this. We have to ask the question, what is faith? So what does it mean to have faith? And he gives us a great definition in verse 1. Verses 1 through 3, he's talking about faith. And verse 1 is a great definition of faith. Look at verse 1. If anyone ever asks you, what is faith? Go to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. He uses two words to define faith here. Assurance and conviction. Assurance is being sure of what we hope for. It, it communicates something that is solid. Something that, that has confidence. Something that is firm. We have assurance. We know what we hope for. But we have this confidence that it's going to come to pass. That's faith. And then he uses the word conviction, which is something, having a conviction is believing something that you're not going to be moved off of. A conviction is immovable. It doesn't change day by day. So we have a conviction of things not seen. We have a conviction, as verse 3 is going to show us, that everything we see around us, everything, trees and stars and galaxies and the moon and creation and animals, we believe that all of that was made out of nothing by the Word of God. That's our conviction. That is what we believe. It is immovable. So it begins, faith begins by knowing there is a God. That's what verse 3 tells us. And then verse 6, look down at verse 6, where it says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. Seems like a common sense statement. If you want to draw near to God, you have to believe God's actually there. So we have to, by faith, believe that God exists. Faith is assurance. It is conviction. It is knowing what we believe. It is knowing God exists. It is knowing God is the creator. It is knowing Jesus Christ came and lived and died on a cross for sins. It is knowing Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He, that tomb was empty on the third day. This is what it means to have faith. And I want, I want to emphasize those two words, assurance and conviction. Because Hebrews 11.1 1 is a very different definition of faith than how people normally use that word in the culture today. The word faith today has a, a sense of committing to something we don't really know if it exists. That's how people use the word faith. Well, I just, I just have faith that, th that this is going to turn out okay. I have faith, you know, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm somewhat hopeful that this is going to be true. I'm not for sure, but I have faith in this. That's not, that's not how the Bible uses the word faith. When we say, I have faith, there is a certainty behind it. I know that I am going to be with God because Christ died for my sins. I have a conviction. I have assurance. That's not how people use the word faith today in our culture. Greg Gilbert in his great book, What is the Gospel, says this is how our culture views faith. He says it's, it's a charade, a fun and comforting game that people are free to engage in if they wish, but with no real connection to the actual world. Children believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Mystics believe in the power of stones and crystals. We were just talking about this as a family this week. One of our kids ran into someone who believed in like stones and crystals. Crazy people believe in fairies and Christians. Well, they believe in Jesus. That's how people interpret faith. It's just, you know, you don't really know. You're just kind of believing this mystical thing out there. That's not how the Bible uses the word faith. There is a certainty. We just, we don't 
hope Jesus was the Savior. We know Jesus is the Savior. We don't just hope there's a God that created the world. We know God created the world. Faith, if you study faith biblically, it really consists of three things. Faith consists in knowledge, belief, and trust. So knowledge comes from God's Word. So it's hearing a truth about God. That's where faith begins. You know, faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 tells us. So we have to hear about something. That's the knowledge aspect. So someone tells us God exists, God created the world. We have now knowledge about that. Belief is admitting these things are true. So you you say, okay, I've heard about God, And I look outside, and I look at the universe, and I look at all these factors, and I I believe that's true. I believe there is a God who created the world. I believe Jesus really lived. I believe the Gospels, what they say about Jesus is true. I believe he was raised from the dead. I believe those things. So I have knowledge. I believe those things are, are true. But faith has a third aspect to it biblically, and that is trust. It, 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 trust is not only do I know that, and and I've heard about it, not only do I believe it, but I trust it. I'm going to stake my life on that being true. It means that we are certain enough to stake our entire lives on something. That's what we're going to see in this hall of faith from Abraham and Moses and David. They were willing to stake their lives and their livelihood at everything on God said something, and they heard it, believed it, and they trusted God's promise that he was true to his promises. One of the classic illustrations of trust, you have knowledge, belief, and trust. One of the classic illustrations of trust that pastors have been using, I think since the time of Charles Spurgeon, has been a tightrope walker named Blondin. Have you guys heard the story of Blondin before? I bet some of you had. Man, I have not used this enough if you don't know this story. I love this story because it took place at Niagara Falls, which is where I grew up off Niagara Falls Boulevard. So Blondin was a tightrope walker. This is the mid-1800s. And he did this big publicity stunt that was in, it was in newspapers, it was in the New York Times. And he, he strung up a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he was going to walk across this tightrope, across right over the falls. And everybody knew there was no safety net. There was nothing to hang on to. If he fell off this rope, he was dead. And so thousands of people showed up at Niagara Falls. They're all lining the side of the falls. And Blondin on the appointed, appointed day goes out and he gets on his tightrope and he walks across the falls and he walks all the way back without falling. And thousands of people just started cheering, going nuts. They were going nuts for him. And every time he would do this, he would add a stunt to going across the, the tightrope and back above Niagara Falls. And he did multiple different stunts he did. And then finally he said, do you think I can take this wheelbarrow across and back? And of course, the crowd is like, yeah, you can do it, you know. They all think he's going to die, but they're just cheering him on, like, try it. And so Blondin goes across the falls with the wheelbarrow, comes back, and the crowd goes wild. And he says, do you think I could take the wheelbarrow across and back filled with dirt in the wheelbarrow? Yeah, you can do it. You're amazing. We believe in you. We trust you. You're amazing. And so he does it there and back. He doesn't fall in with the wheelbarrow filled with dirt. He takes the dirt out. And he says to the crowd, do you believe that I can do it with a person in the wheelbarrow? And the crowd goes, yeah, you can do it. You're amazing. You can do anything. And he says, okay, who's getting in? And the crowd goes quiet. 
nobody would get into the wheelbarrow except for one man, Blondin's manager. He got into the wheelbarrow, put his life on the line, sat there holding on. There's pictures of it as he walked all the way across the falls and back. I think that's a great illustration of people who had knowledge. They'd seen him do it. They knew he could do it. They had belief. They were cheering him on. They really thought he could do it. But they didn't actually trust him with their life. They weren't willing to get into the wheelbarrow. Listen, you can't just know about Jesus and believe the things about Jesus are true and then not put your own life on the line trusting in him for salvation from your sins. You've got to trust him. And that, that's the faith that Hebrews 11 is talking about. And God loves this. I mean, you just saw in our text in verses 1 through 12, over and over, it's, he commends faith. He loves faith. God loves when we have faith and believe he can do the things he says that he can do. So faith, biblically, if anyone ever asks you, it's, a Hebrews, it's Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's assurance and conviction are the words he uses. And faith means you, you have knowledge, belief, and trust. Point number two, what does faith look like? Okay, if that's, if that's faith, if faith is this assurance and this conviction, what does it actually look like? Well, that's what he tells us in verses 4 through 29 in this hall of faith as he walks through person after person who lived by faith. He's trying to make it tangible for us. He's saying this is what it looks like to live by faith. Faith expresses itself in our choices and decisions every day of our lives. So he talks about Abel having faith in contrast to Cain's unbelief, which is from Genesis. Talks about Noah's faith. Think about Noah, this faith to build this, this huge ark. And, and God had said it's going to flood and there was no rain coming from anywhere. And yet he's building day by day. That's an example of faith and work. Abraham. I love the story of Abraham because, God, you know, Abraham, we don't think about this. When God called Abraham, he was 75 years old at the time. You know, when you read these stories, you ever picture Abraham as like a young man going out? He was 75. He was established. He lived in, in the city of Ur and God calls him and says, I'm going to send you to a new city. I'm going to take you to a new place. You just have to leave your home and trust that I'm going to lead you to where I want you to go. I read about a commentator who was writing about Hebrews 11. And he had actually been to the city of Ur, which exists today, which Abraham was from. And, and there's these walls. The city was a very safe place that had these walls. And he has a picture in his office of four, four pictures. They almost look identical, he says. There are four pictures side by side by side. And they're all of just sand. They're not identical. They're from the city of Ur looking in four different directions. No matter where you go, it is just desert and sand. And Abraham told, or God told Abraham, just go in the direction I tell you. You know, you can just picture Abraham bidding on, standing on the wall saying, uh, doesn't look like there's a nice place to go from here. And yet he trusted God and he took a step of faith and he followed God's promise. Points out Sarah in verse 11 by faith, you know, when she was too old to have children, believed in the promise of God and God was faithful to his word. And now he's telling them, 
We've seen that promise from one man. I love this in verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. That is really mocking somebody, you know? Like, he was basically dead when he had Isaac, is what he's saying. We're born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as grains of sand, which is what exactly God had promised to Abraham. He mentions Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. He goes all the way through the book of Genesis and just says, you know, faith, 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 faith. They all lived by faith. Look down at verse 23. He talks about Moses. You can look at verses 24 through 26. I love this section. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Remember, he's bringing faith alive for us. Moses had faith. He considered, verse 26, the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt. He trusted God. Where basically, Pharaoh said, everything I have, you can be a part of. Riches and wealth and ease and pleasure. Anything you want, you can have. And Moses said, I'd rather be mistreated with the people of God than to give in to this what he called sin, just giving in to sin. He was looking towards the reward, verse 26, that he lived by faith. Listen, I love those verses, verse 25 especially, because it talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. And it just makes me think about today, all these promises sin makes to us. Sin promises pleasure and happiness and ease and comfort and popularity and power. And I, I wish I could tell you that sin never delivers, but it does deliver the, on those things temporarily. Moses could have really had those things. It wasn't a false promise. Moses could have had wealth and ease and comfort temporarily. But Moses discerned there is a God and I'd rather be, in this lifetime, I'd rather be mistreated with the people of God. I'd rather have a hard life and be persecuted and live in the desert and have people complaining and Pharaoh bearing down on me, trying to kill me. I'd rather have that because when I die, I want to be with God. I want to get the reward. I want to get the promise of knowing God for all eternity. I love this verse about Moses because when I read it, I think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that story where Jesus goes up and he has several of his disciples with him and he transfigures before them and he's glowing like the sun and his clothes are pure white. And you remember who was with Jesus they saw? Elijah and Moses was with him. Moses got to see the promise. He got the reward. He, when he was standing there with Jesus, I guarantee Moses was not standing there on the mount with Jesus going, I really wish I'd stayed with Pharaoh and taken that offer. You know, like that was not a thought that went through his head. He was, he lived by faith. And then you see in verse 32, 
he just, he's running out of time like I am tonight. So he just says, what more shall I say? You know, it's a pastor's way of kind of closing. What else can I say? You know, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And then he has this whole list of things they accomplished we're going to talk about. But what's really interesting about that list, and I really struggled with this for a while, is if you look at some of those people, you think they're supposed to be an example for us. The one that really gets me is Samson. I mean, if you read through Judges and you read about Samson's life, it is a head-scratcher, isn't it? You're like, how did Samson make the Hall of Faith? Like, has this guy read his Bible? Seriously, Samson? But honestly, if you think about that list of people, I mean, Gideon didn't really trust the Lord. He demanded signs from God before he would, he would step out. So he did do amazing things for God, but he didn't do it when God said. He kept testing God over and over. And if I do this, let's try it a second time. Let's try it a third time. He really wanted assurance God was going to do what he said. He really didn't have a ton of faith. Think about David. He was an adulterer. He had a guy murdered. I mean, Barak wouldn't go into battle unless Deborah went with him. You know, he was kind of, he didn't have a lot of courage just all of those people fall short of the glory of God. And the point is not that they were perfect. The point is, in the end, they took steps of faith. Even Samson, when, when he was being killed and they gouged out his eyes, if you read that, he prayed to God and asked for power. And he like pushed out the pillars and collapsed it and killed all those men. You know, he, he, God gave him strength to conquer Israel's enemies. The point is, each one of them ended up doing things by faith and trusted God. And it's, it, it, what, what's remembered about them is not their sins and their weaknesses. What's remembered about them is their acts of faith, which is true of all of us. We're going to fall short. We're not always going to be courageous. We're not going to be perfect. Faith is not perfection. It's kind of the point, I think, there. Living by faith does not mean you're going to be perfect. But it means you, you step out and you eventually trust God to do what he said he's going to do. So we have all these examples of what does faith look like. Just study Hebrews 11. And you'll see this is what faith is. Here's all these examples of people who trusted God. And did hard things for God by faith. And then point number three. What's the fruit of faith? And we see this in verses 32 through 38. We see these amazing things they did that they could never do on their own. I love this list. They conquered kingdoms. They stopped lions. They quenched the power of fire. I think he's referring to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they're, they're in the flames, and yet they're not being consumed because they trusted God by faith. Just read Daniel and go, these guys had faith. They weren't going to bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, they were willing to trust God could do his promise. That they stepped out in faith and quenched the power of fire. By faith, they trusted God and they were willing to be killed and, and, and be consumed before they would worship a false god. And when we think of faith, I think we think of all these powerful testimonies. People who do things by faith. But what's interesting about these verses is there's a second half to it that kind of turns in verse 36. They did all these amazing things. They conquered. You know, they stopped the mouths of lions. They overcame fire. 
But there were others who by faith suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned for their faith. They were sawn in two. You know, that's, that's not like, we, we want to be the ones who conquer fire. We don't want to be the ones who are sawn in two. But it's that both of those are both in the same little section on fruit of faith. This is what faith may mean for you. It may mean you do amazing things for God. It may mean that you're destitute, afflicted, mistreated, which is all in verse 37. It may mean, verse 38, you're wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. He's not saying, and then he makes it very clear in verse 39. Though all of these are commended by God, God loved their faith, didn't mean they saw the fruit of it on earth. The point is they got the reward later on. And I think a great example of that is even our Savior, who was crucified and killed and murdered. He was raised on the third day and he ascended to be with the Father. And that's where he is today. And that's where the true reward for our faith is. It is when we go to be with God. So ask yourself, what, where is your faith? Where are you going to take a stand? What do you believe in? What do you have assurance about, conviction of? What are you willing to take a stand and trust God and step out and believe God is faithful to do what he said he would do? Who are you attached to? That's what faith does. It attaches us to something that is solid, ensure a strong foundation what are you attached to by faith is it sin is it this world is it yourself or is it God father son and holy spirit I finished with this story I read this in, in a paper years ago which I thought was pretty funny which illustrates well the importance of having faith in God and attaching ourselves to God it's a story about a man who was trying to paint uh, the eaves underside of his house off his roof on his A-frame house. He was going to, his idea was to hang from a rope and to, you know, hang down, tie a rope around his waist, hang down, have his paint, and paint the underside, the eaves of his house. But he couldn't find anything on the roof of his house that was really secure to attach himself to. And so being a very creative guy, being a smart guy, he decided, I need something solid to attach myself to. So he pulled his car out of the garage. He tied the rope on his, on his car, on the bumper of his car, put the rope over his house, down the backside of his house, attached himself to the rope, and started painting the eaves of his house. Pretty ingenious guy. The only thing he forgot to do in the whole process was to tell his wife what he had done by attaching himself to the car. This is what the story says. A short time later, his wife, not knowing what her inventive husband had done, came out of the house with her car keys in hand. She got into the vehicle and drove off, pulling her husband over the roof, down the other side, and into the driveway where she pulled him down the driveway. The man was seriously injured. The moral of the story, this is in the article, this is not, this is in the article, the moral of this true story is that you are only as secure as that to which you secure yourself. And that caught my attention. Hebrews 11 is he wants to encourage them by faith. Attach yourselves to Jesus Christ. Have assurance. 
Have a conviction. Know what you believe. Uh, have knowledge, belief, but you got to get in the wheelbarrow. You have to trust him. You have to turn from your sins and trust him by faith that you can be forgiven of your sins, that he can give you a new heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a miracle of his grace. I mean, to give us a new heart, you have to have faith that he can do that. We have to know he can do that and trust him to do that. And then by faith, we live for him trusting him that he is good. Let me pray for you, and then we have a time of discussion before we wrap up tonight. Father, I thank you for these teens here tonight. I know there's a lot in Hebrews 11, so I pray more than anything, my heart is that you would give them the gift of faith tonight. For any who have heard about Jesus and know these things are true, but haven't trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, I pray tonight they would turn from their sins, trust in Jesus, receive forgiveness, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, and that you would give them the gift of faith tonight to trust you with their lives. And I pray for everyone here that we would leave here tonight full of faith in everything we're called to do in school, and our families, and jobs, that we would live by faith in the Son of God, which is what you call us to do, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.